Welcome in, everybody. It is another episode of the Card Chronicle podcast. Mike Rutherford here in Louisville, Kentucky. Danny Sennard in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording this uh, Tuesday night, getting you ready for Wednesday's game against Syracuse. Also recapping Louisville's win on Monday over the fighting Josh Pastners of Georgia Tech. Before we dive into all that good stuff, Dan, how are you? Good, man. Uh, got about five inches of snow these past couple days. Kids had a snow day today. Um, it's funny when, when I was, well, I think when Louisville got the snow last week, just about every single person on my social media feed posted some sort of snow pic. But like the snow pictures in Louisville just look 20,000 times better than any snow pic I could take in Columbus. So props to being beautiful, Louisville. Um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's going well. It was nice to have a game on Monday and a quick turnaround to Wednesday. Look, once you cross that bridge, once you cross that river, there's nothing beautiful over there. I mean, I I enjoy Ohio, but the second you cross that bridge, it goes from sunny to just perpetually gray and wet and cold and gross. It's the Ohio Ocean. It's what my, my mom always called it, and she's totally right. It's just a, it's a different world up there. It's it is just I mean, it's so dreary. It's unbelievable. Like Oh, I don't know. It's the thing I miss most about Kentucky. Um, is it, it just, I don't know the, not that the weather's like phenomenal, but it's just so much better than it is up here. And it's only three hours south, which is weird. Well, we're going to get into, uh, Louisville's win over Georgia Tech here shortly, but we would be remiss, Dan, if we didn't open this podcast, uh, by talking a little bit about somebody who reminds us all of Georgia Tech, Josh Faster. <laughs> I'm talking about her old friend. Dustin Diamond, a.k.a. Samuel Screech Powers, who passed away on Monday at the far too young age of 44. And like in real life, after Saved by the Bell, you can Google Dustin Diamond. Like, like the guy, not the best guy in the world, had a lot of trouble. I think he was very upset about the fact that he was always going to be known to the rest of the world as Screech. Tried very hard to distance himself from that. Uh, was in jail for a period of time for stabbing some guy at a bar on Christmas. Just not a great person overall. Still, according to recent quotes, trying to kind of change that image. Uh, I mean, had a whole lot of life left to live. And for us, two people who grew up, I, I think I'm. it's well documented that I was a big Saved by the Bell fan growing up. I think that's all over the Internet. Like, he was a, a big part of our childhoods. And to see him dead this soon, it was it was a very, very sad day, Dan. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I mean, like you said, I, you know, you don't want to dump on a guy, especially, you know, the, the day that he passes or the day after. But, uh, you know, he, he did have some demons, it sounded like, but it, it had to be tough for him, you know, especially after the show. I mean, when you're, when you're known as Screech, it, it's, it's kind of hard to move on from that persona or character. Um, but I mean, while on the show, he, he, he did it so well. Uh, definitely an icon in, in the our entertainment youth for sure. Um, I mean, he's going to miss it. He's going to be missed. It's a sad story. Um, you know, I'll probably try to ca- catch a couple episodes this weekend and screech his honor. But um, yeah, man, just terrible news. We legit watched Screech's birthday episode last night. And I say oh, we, shit. my wife paid no attention. Like, I was like, I'm doing this. I was like, I don't care. I was like, I was like, this is the right thing to do right now. She's just on her phone. Like, bang, zero attention. It's the episode where it's Screech's birthday and everybody forgot and they throw him the party in Belding's office. Uh, watch that. Felt good about it afterwards. But so Monday when this happens, like, obviously I get 
a billion text messages from, from, from my friends. I get a bunch of emails and direct messages from people, um, you know, who just know that I like Save by the Bell. And so I, I feel like it kind of died down for a little bit. And I shared it with you, but like in the middle of the George Tech game, my 74 year old dad <laughs> thundering in with a text. He's like, and now Screech is dead. God damn it. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, that text. I mean, I was like in the middle of watching the game. So, and I, I was working at the same time. So I felt like I had a lot going on. And then all of a sudden when that text came through. I just absolutely lost it. You have to understand like my dad is God love him, but like the glass is always not just half empty. It's like, Barely, there's barely a drop in it to him if it's half full. Like he just, he's going to find the worst. He's going to play it up. It's just who he is. Like and and he understands that. So the fact that he would reference Saved by the Bell in any capacity, just to kind of try to pile on like bad things happening in the world. Like Dad's like now Screech is dead. There's another thing. Like Dad, you you can't name one other character from Saved by the Bell. But I just uh, it was a nice way to put my, a smile on my face during an otherwise uh, dreary dreary day. Uh, so shout out to Samuel Powers, shout out to Dustin Diamond. We'll dedicate this podcast to you. I'm sure you're, I'm sure that's gonna make everything better for you. We we love yeah. this. Cheers to Screech, man. Cheers, Cheers to Screech. All right, let's talk about the actual game. Um, again, speaking of nerds, Josh Pastner comes to town. He did you see the picture that the um the guy got at the Hyatt before the game? I mean, an all timer, just an all time. We 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 talked about this like. Uh, when he was first started wearing the mask, we're like, what if he just never takes that mask off, like, no matter where he is? And sure enough, he's coming out of a, you know, a, a deli shop wearing it. I mean, he really is. It's it's the Richard Hamilton of masks. He just does not want to take that thing off. I legitimately am starting to wonder if he does. And it was, this was uh, Daniel Bird is the guy who got the picture with him. Um, shout to him. Where he's like, he's cheesing so big. It's just, it's it's almost too pastner. Like, this is how I, because everybody always likes to ask me, you know, are, are you making fun of this guy? Do you hate this guy? Do you secretly like him? Like, wh- what's the deal with it? It's kind of like the DePaul thing. Nobody really knows where I stand. And the re- reason for that is I've got no idea how I feel about him. Like, I know that he's hilarious to make fun of. I know that he's, I don't think he's a very good coach, if we're being quite frank. I love when we beat him. It makes him almost like he's adorable when you beat him. When you lose to him, I, it drives me fucking crazy. Like, when we lost to him last year, I'm like, fuck this guy. Like, they, it all stems from that Memphis game where he stayed out on the court afterwards and taunted our crowd and then came back and did it again when he uh, when he did his post-game radio show. So I love making fun of Pastor. I'm sure he's in real life uh, a, a dorky enough, fine enough guy. But I, I, I kind of – I tread the line yeah. between – like making fun of him and, and genuinely liking him and just genuinely disliking him. It's all. I mean, when I saw that picture, like the first thing that flashed in my mind, like Josh Pastner is the type of guy if like the team he coached ever made like a surprising run to like the Final Four in New Orleans, you could be like going to the game as a family and like make like a quick stop off at like Jimmy John's next to the stadium like two hours before tip and just been eating there and be like. Is that Josh Pastner eating in the booth by himself? Like, isn't Tip in two hours? Like, that's the type of some, something that I could see Josh Pastner doing. That's the type of guy he is. I mean, the man is a coach of a major conference program, a program that within the last two decades has played for the national championship. And when they win games, he stops at gas stations to buy his team snacks. Like, that's that's how he celebrates. This is what this man does. He had a, a COVID pinata that was full of candy for a locker room celebration earlier this year. I mean, he, he is Michael Scott. I know that the post has been made 
Um, and to answer one of the questions, we, we, we're going to answer some questions from Twitter later on today, but one of the questions was, does Josh Pastor have any idea how much we make fun of him? And I can tell you for a fact, I think it was, it was either two years ago or three years ago, and I won't name the person, but it's a, a local media member who I know who went to ACC Media Day or Project Basketball, whatever the fuck they call it, and Pastor, he was talking to Pastor, he knows Pastor fairly well, and Pastor was like, why do all Louisville fans make fun of me? Like, why, why do they hate me? Was it, I think his exact quote. And he brought up the Michael Scott article. So I know he's seen that for a fact. So short answer to that question, he's very aware, or at least somewhat aware, of his reputation here amongst the uh, the Cardinal fan base and, and really probably the college basketball world at large. But, I mean, he definitely plays into it. If he does, if he's just that dorky, then, then props to him because it feels like he – kind of knows the reputation and is now starting to lean into it a little bit. Or maybe just he is that dorky. I've got no idea. I mean, it's one of the great mysteries in life, how he <laughs> recruits to Atlanta. Like, what what is he telling these kids to get him to go there? Like, what are the recruiting videos? Like, I, what, what brochures is he handing out? What is he telling these kids' parents? I have to know this because, I mean – from what I'm seeing, I, I, I'm just missing something. I mean, there's just something off about this. Um, but I don't know. I will say, I don't know if he, he's definitely gaining weight. Maybe he's lifting more. Maybe, I, I don't know, but he's definitely getting bigger, bigger in the chest area. That's for sure. The fact that he went from Memphis to Atlanta. I mean, these are the least pastor cities we have in America. <laughs> They really are. Like, he's going to be at UNLV next, like 100%. Uh, his next job may be, like, Flint, Michigan, or, like, Detroit. He's going to coach Detroit Mercy. Like, the, I mean, the video of him giving the, the round of 32 locker room speech to Memphis when they were playing Virginia back in, I think, 2013, 2014, where he's like, I want nothing more than for you guys to get to the Sweet 16. I've been there as a player. I've been there as an assistant. I've been there as a video coordinator. And, like, these kids, I mean, these – uh, they're just like who the f- and then they lose by eighteen, of course. But like it's it's the the least inspiring pregame speech I've ever seen in my entire life, and that's who he is. I mean, the man's posing for pictures with Andre three thousand, saying he's teaching me about AT aliens. Like it, it's just I don't even know what to say about him. So let's talk about the actual game. Louisville wins seventy four fifty eight, and I think there's only one place we have to start. And well, I guess there's there's one of two options. It could be Sam Williamson or it could be Gabe Wisnesser. And legitimate question: How upset do you think Sam Williamson was? This guy who has been, I mean, dogged more than any player by his fan base throughout the years. Dog maybe too strong of a word, but he's taken more criticism than any Louisville player so far this season. And I don't think it's close. Has a 20 and 18 game, just a ridiculously incredible performance. I'm sure he's desperate to get on his phone and see what everybody's saying on social media, and he hops on. And there's like 20,000 Gabe Wisnitzer tweets that he has to scroll through from this guy who's got four points and two rebounds in 16 minutes or whatever it was. Like, I, I bet there was at least some disappointment for Sam. But in all seriousness, what a performance for him. Dude, that was phenomenal. And, I mean, like, it, it's funny. We, we wanted to see Sam. I mean, we talked about it. We're like, hey, I, you know, his game is good enough to where if he does the little things, like the points will come. Um, but I mean, talk about like setting the bar way high for yourself the rest of the year. Like, am I totally thrilled with this performance? Like, absolutely. Do I expect 20 and 18? Obviously not. Um, but I mean, we saw the motor that he's capable of having. I mean, if he can bring that on a daily basis, 
I mean, that just changes the entire outlook of this team. It's not rocket science. I think everyone knows so far it's kind of been a two-man show this year, and we've been waiting for more consistency out of that third guy. And, I mean, I think it's fair to say at this point, and that maybe it's putting too much pressure on, on Sam, but I think he is the key to our season the rest of the way. I, I, I mean, I know we're going to get contributions from other guys, but I think he is talented enough to where he should be able to get us what we need to be a consistently good basketball team going into March. And if, if we can get all three of those guys playing, playing well, I mean, the, I don't want to say the sky's the limit, but we're definitely, you know, I think right now people look at us as like a, an eight seed, maybe a first weekend out team. Um, you know, if Sam steps up and we start to get more consistent from, from, from him, you know, I, I'm hoping maybe second weekend, um, or maybe even beyond that. I mean, 20 and 18 is just an outrageous stat line for a guy who's, I mean, the biggest knock on him, even dating back to last year when he wasn't playing a whole lot, has been doesn't want to do the dirty work, right? He's he plays pretty, like all the all those cliches. Doesn't have enough dog in him, whatever cliche you want to throw out there. He had 18 fucking rebounds off the bench, like that is an absolutely nuts nuts stat line, and. I think it's happening at a perfect time for two reasons. The first is obvious. Louisville's playing Syracuse on uh, Wednesday night. Again, we're recording this Tuesday night, so if you're listening to this, it's probably before the game. He is the perfect zone buster uh, for a team that doesn't shoot the ball all that well from the outside. I think you're going to see either him or David Johnson spend most of the time in the middle of that 2-3. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But two, something that you brought up when we were talking after the game on Monday it kind of seems a little bit, and maybe this is is all premature and he's going to be fantastic on Wednesday, but it seems a little bit like Carly Jones is, the legs are going just a tad, and maybe there's a little bit of that Kristen Cunningham, I think you put it that way, phenomenon where you know he was so good, such a, even better than we thought for the first few months of the season, and then when you got in the second half of ACC play, just kind of was dragging a little bit. And Carleek's playing more minutes than CC did. He played more minutes than, than Fresh Kimball did last year. And really at the end of games, he's been kind of our entire offense. Having Sam Williamson be able to step up and, and say, you know, maybe down the stretch, you don't have to, to be the guy. Every single possession for the last six minutes of a close game could really be a big relief for Carleek. So like you said, like teams are adjusting to the fact that Louisville has been a two-man team on offense so far this year. You saw Clemson just throw everybody into the gaps uh, when – they were playing that, uh, I mean, they were overhelping. They were, every time Carleek or David tried to drive, they had three guys in the lane right there to, uh, to stop them and basically said, if anybody else can beat us from the wing, go for it. And we, we couldn't. Uh, we, we didn't come close to, to beating them that way. So having Sam step up in this way, is, it feels like the perfect, perfect timing. No, I completely agree. And I, I think we definitely need to give a shout to David Johnson as well because the beginning of that game, uh, it, it kind of seemed like, oh shit, here we go again. Like we're getting outmanned for rebounds. Quinn had like back to back, just an awful, you know, give up an offensive rebound, get it taken away by Moses, right? And then throws it away. They get a steal and a layup and we're down five or seven real quick. And David Johnson comes out, knocks down two huge threes and gets us right back in the game. Um, and I, I think that, that kind of minute segment there, kind of set the table for the rest of the game to make sure, hey, you know, we are here to play today. Um, but, God, he has just shot the ball so well. I'm, I'm like, crossing my fingers. Not not that I think, you know, he's not a good shooter, but part of me is like, is this ever going to stop? Because, I mean, especially at home, it just seems like he's shooting the ball so well. 
Um, so at this point, I mean, the way they played, I'm, I'm thrilled with it. It was Georgia Tech. I don't think Georgia Tech played the best game. I think we had a lot to do with that. Now I'm looking for them to bring that type of game, that type of attitude on the road. I think one of the things that's kind of been overlooked, I mean, I think we won at Pitt when they were undermanned, and I can't remember. We won at uh, Wake Forest. But other than that, we've looked terrible on the road so far. So I think Wednesday will be a big test for us to see if we can kind of carry over what we did on Monday. Um, but, I mean, there's really – not a whole lot to be upset about Monday. I think we played one of our better games of the year. Yeah, I, I the beginning of the game you're totally right about because this was a game. I don't know how much you felt of this or how much you saw of this. Like Louisville fans were, <clears throat> excuse me, collectively really pessimistic about this game. Like I, I, I feel like everybody who was on Twitter was just expecting to lose and saying, you know, Georgia Tech's a bad matchup for us, and, and maybe it's a little bit because of what happened in the second game last year, but. It, I was just kind of surprised to see that much hesitation from from our fan base, with that much just dread from our fan base going into this game. Uh, don't get me wrong, I, like, I I certainly thought it was going to be a much closer game than it was, but Georgia Tech, I, I think you saw the lack of rest that they had. I, I do think it played a part in this game because they were going up against a Florida State team on Saturday that is the most physical in the conference that takes it out of you. Even when you win, like you're going to get beat up a little bit. They're kind of like playing Wisconsin in football or something along those lines. Even when you win, you're going to be feeling it the next week. And I think you saw a little bit of that from Georgia Tech on Monday. I do think it played at least something of a part in the way that they played, especially when they got down. Like it's one thing to kind of to pick yourself up when you're in a close game and you're going shot for shot with your opponents. When you get down like 13 early in the second half and you're already tired and you already feel a little bit beaten up, it's much easier to fold your tent up a little bit, and I think we kind of saw that from from Georgia Tech. But, yeah, the slow start happens, and I think every Louisville fan is immediately panicking. Quinn Slezinski, I thought Luke Murray was going to kill him. Like, like <laughs> So did I. He was going crazy off the bench, like <laughs> ripping his mat. Like He's just like you're supposed to be the, the tough guy, and you're getting this ball ripped away from you. And this is two games in a row where Quinn has, has not been at his best, and Sam has – kind of come in and, and looked like the, the much superior player. I thought Sam actually had been good for both games. He'd come off the bench. Stats weren't all that, you know, staggering, but I thought he played really well. And then, obviously, you get this performance, and uh, expectations have changed now. But David Johnson really just 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 put the stint in and stopped the bleeding. He was so good. And you're right. I mean, this was supposed to be the weakest part of his game. And, I mean, you see why he's in every top 20 of every mock NBA draft that's on the internet right now. His two big issues coming into the season were lack of an outside shot and defense. And he's been, he's been, according to Chris Mack, our best defensive player this so far this season. He almost always draws the toughest assignment for the other team. And he's our best three-point shooter. So he's checking both those boxes. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I wrote this earlier today. Enjoy him for the next two months or however long we get because this is the last time we're going to see David Johnson playing for Louisville. Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean, yeah, he, he's, he has an NBA body, obviously, um, you know, good head on his shoulders. Uh, like you said, I, I think the two things that they were looking to improve this year were defense and three point shooting. He's done both of that. Um, but I mean, the job he did on Alvarado, Alvarado is a really good player. I mean, really good. And to hold him to, to seven points is phenomenal. So. Uh, I mean, I can't really say anything more. I, I, I just hope he brings whatever he, he did Monday on the road, 
Um, it, it seems like he's kind of struggled on the road a little bit in our road game. So uh, I think that's the next step for him. But uh, nothing to nitpick about his game. He was absolutely phenomenal, and we needed we needed him to be um, in in order to you know absolutely whatever we won by eighteen points. Well, you said nothing to nitpick. I'm gonna try. There, there's one thing that has kind of driven me. I won't say crazy, but it, it's it, it's something that he's got to fix. He and Carly both do the thing where they they kind of they probe when they keep their dribble. They'll get like a, a step on their man and kind of see how far they can go and, and go slowly into the lane and see if they can keep that advantage. David has an issue where when he turns his back to a defender, he kind of thinks that they just disappear, and he's had his pocket picked so many times because of that. Like when when uh, the help defender goes away and you get a step after running uh, a high ball screen, he just kind of thinks that that guy is, is going to stay on his man and not dive down, and you saw Alvarado get a couple of swipes on him uh, and get the ball cleanly a couple of times. That's happened too often recently, and it's, it's the one thing, one area of his game where he really has to, to fix. He's got to become more aware of defenders that are out of his line of vision because he's getting his pocket picked just a little bit too much. On the whole, though, Georgia Tech ended this game number one in the ACC in conference-only games in terms of turnovers forced and steals created. Louisville did a really good job of taking care of the ball, only nine turnovers. Uh, five of those were off of steals. And I think the biggest part of that, the, the biggest way that that helped Louisville in this game was it slowed Georgia Tech down. They really wanted to get out and run. I think they thought they could beat Louisville in transition. Um, they did it pretty effectively for the first 10 minutes or so. But when you limit those turnovers, you limit the, the long rebounds off of, of bad missed shots from the perimeter. It really, really uh, keeps the team from being able to get out and, and score in transition. I thought Louisville did a great job there. Uh, anything else really stand out in this game to you? There, I, I'm going to nitpick on one thing that I think has uh, been plaguing us, I, I feel like, the last couple of games. Our big guys finishing at the rim has been a problem. And, yes, I mean, Moses Wright is a great shot blocker. Um, but I, I'm going to pick on Jalen Withers here for a second because he's done this a couple of games. When he When he gets the ball down in the post, I mean, he's either getting it slapped away, loses it out of bounds, leans back and tries to finish like way too many, like way too many numerous times. I mean, JJ trainer, he doesn't have the strength yet. Um, you can just tell by kind of how frail he is that he needs to add weight. So I, I don't give him as much grief, but I mean, when Jalen gets the ball, he needs to protect it better. He needs to just power up and actually extend the ball out to the backboard and have the defender on his back. Instead, he just goes straight at the rim and he leaves himself open to get stripped every single time. And it's happened numerous times. And I don't know about you, but it's driving me absolutely crazy. Yeah, the the stuff around the rim has been bad for a couple of games now. I saw, I think Kelly Dickey said, going back to the Duke game, and this was about midway through the second half, Louisville had missed 17 of its last 20 layups, uh, quote-unquote layups, shots around the rim. And our guys are just too hesitant. Like, they, yeah. they will have a, a, an advantage. We ran that same play, that little backdoor screen play that we've run for the last three years under Mac and, and gets a, a wide-open layup probably, I don't know, what, 70% of the time it feels like. A couple of teams have had it scouted really well. But we ran it really effectively. Dre Davis had the ball in his hands. Jalen was open for, like, five minutes, it felt like. Dre finally got it to him. And then our big guys – they go up at precisely the wrong time. Like, if yeah. they go up right away, they're going to be okay. If they wait, pump fake, and get the defender in the air, they're going to be able to finish because he's coming flying in. They wait until the defender's in the only 
like possible position to block the shot, and that's when they go up. And you're right, they go up way, way too soft. I think an issue that we're going to 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 see it's going to have to be better on Wednesday against Syracuse. We saw it against that little one-three-one zone that Georgia Tech played. We saw it a little bit against the Duke zone. Uh, BC played some zone. Wake Forest played some zone. Kentucky played some zone. The biggest issue we've had when we've been trying to attack zones is we do everything too slowly. You've got to – the ball has to move quickly against the zone. The cuts have to be fast against the zone. If you have an, a, like a, a slight gap uh, to get a, a, up a shot, you've got to get rid of the ball quickly. Like you've got to go up with that shot very quickly. If you have uh, an opening around the rim, you've got to go up with that shot quickly. We do everything slow against the zone, and it's why I think we've had a lot of issues. If we're that slow – Wednesday night against the Syracuse 2-3, it's going to be a really frustrating evening because I don't think like, – we don't have the Jordan Wara, the Ryan McMahon, those types of guys who can you know, bail you out of a poor offensive possession against his own by hitting a 25-footer late in the shot clock. We just – it's not our game this year. So like, I'm with you. That's been a huge issue, but it's also been a huge issue for the zone uh, – against the zone, I should say, in other areas on the floor. But, yeah, Jalen – I thought Jalen competed really hard against Moses Wright in the second half. He's one of the best interior players in the ACC. He only had seven blocks, according to the stat sheet. I thought he had about 55. Like, it was just unbelievable <laughs> how much he was just throwing our shit around in, in the post. But overall, it not the best effort from our front court. And maybe that's why we saw Gabe Wissenter for 16 minutes. we got to talk about the big whiz. Um, the guy comes in, and he is more of a physical presence than both Jalen and J.J. Trainer. And that's really all he is at this point. Like, love the kid. I know he's a project. I've described him a couple of times. He reminds me of, like, a bulldozer who's skidding on ice. And if you're in his way, he's not going full speed anymore. He's trying to stop, but he's going to plow into you. Like, there's going to be a collision. That's the way he plays. And in a game where the whistle was pretty loose, they weren't calling it overly tightly, he made a real impact. I mean, he he, he kept uh, Brett Moses off the, the offensive glass. He was physical inside. He cleared space for his teammates. Uh, had a nice dunk. Had an and one opportunity. It was a, a, a big afternoon for our guy G Wiz. No, I completely agree. And it was, I mean, to me, it was a little bit refreshing to watch him on the defensive end. Uh, you know, only because he just has so much more beef than all our other uh, other guys down low that he just provided way more resistance on the block than Moses Wright and. I think that got in his head a little bit because you saw Moses Wright settle a little bit in the second half for more jump shots, um, and he, he definitely got a little more frustrated. So, I mean, an A-plus, you know, for, for a guy that – for the limited minutes that he gets, for, for him to come in and play 16, you know, valuable minutes in a, a game that we really needed to win, um, you know, I I know it's, it's fun that we can joke around with this guy on the podcast, but, I mean, he could actually – potentially play a, a decent sized role depending on the health of Malik Williams here down the stretch because uh, we might need a big body like him in, in crucial moments of the season. So it's nice to see that he's at least capable of giving us valuable minutes if we need it. Here's my problem when the Wiz plays, though. I find myself being completely incapable <laughs> of watching anything other than him. Just the way he moves, the herky-jerky movements, the just – it's not the grace of a pure D1 athlete that we're used to seeing. Like, it's just the video of him that Tyler Griever from WHAS posted where he has the dunk and then just, like, sprints back. Like, it's just that that's not a normal high-level college basketball athlete's movements. And I, I, 
I just can't stop watching him. Like it, he's just so unique. I love this guy. Like I, I want him to be here for five years. I want him. So to do play. I. So do I. I really like him a lot. <laughs> I've said this before. He reminds me of the kid who made the A team in grade school solely because he hit puberty before everybody else. Like not the most talented, not the most gifted, giving it his all. Just awkward, still trying to fit into his body. Just all that stuff. That's who he is. And he's doing it at the highest level of college basketball. It is a joy to watch Gabe Wisnitzer play basketball. He he has an A plus run down the court. I mean, one of the better ones we've had on campus here in the last ten right. years. I love watching him run. But every ever since we started calling him the Wiz, I literally just think of the Seinfeld episode. I really wish we could have like a segment on the scoreboard next season when he scores. He's like, "I'm the Wiz. Oh, I'm the Wiz." <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, totally, totally like the guy a lot. Um, and I'm glad he got some shine. Last, last thing here before we move on and talk a little bit about Syracuse. Would you like to offer a public apology to Josh Nickelberry? Because ever since you compared yourself to him and also gave him the nickname of the microwave, I don't think he's made a shot besides the, the meaningless three in the last second against Clemson, and now he's hurt his wrist. He's out. He's sidelined. You basically ruined Josh Nickelberry's 2021. I'm really sorry, Josh. That's totally on me. I mean, I don't know. what I was really excited. He came out gangbusters. He was. It seemed like he hit every first shot that he took when he checked in the first couple games. Um, hopefully, hopefully this wrist, I mean, obviously it doesn't sound like it's too serious. Hopefully, you know, sometimes shooters need a little bit of a mental break as well. Uh, you know, so maybe it, it's just some time to, to, you know, I know that's not, I know he's actually hurt. I'm not saying he's not hurt, but, um, hopefully he comes back fresh, you know, recharged and, uh, we, we see the Josh Nickelbear we saw maybe late December, um, you know, come these next couple games. Just keep digging that hole, Dan. I know. I'm I'm sorry, Josh. You can kick my ass if you ever see me in person. All right. We have another game to talk about. Quick turnaround. Kind of a – I know it's tough for the players. Fun for us. We don't have to go more than 48 hours without a game. It's a three-game week here for the Louisville Cardinals. We're going to talk about the second game of that trio. But before we do, I want to remind you all, we are sponsored by Homefield Apparel. They've, uh, they're going to have a new deal coming out here in a couple of weeks. Keep your eyes tuned. Every month they're going to have a special deal for Louisville fans. I'll put it on Card Chronicle. I'll put it on social media. But for now, you can still use the promo code Card Chronicle when you check out to save 20% on any purchase from Homefield Apparel. They've got the best retro Louisville gear you'll be able to find anywhere. The softest t-shirts, the softest hoodies. They've got a couple of tank tops. They take, it's not like your normal designs. They don't just put Louisville across the chest, put the Cardinal bird on the, on the, uh, the chest underneath it and call it a day. They really go deep into what makes every fan base tick, what they like the most, what mascots they enjoy, and they put those on their attire. Check out their wide array of teams. They, they just put Georgetown now into the mix. Um, they've got BYU into the mix. Uh, go to homefieldapparel.com to see all the schools they've got. They've got D1 schools, D2 schools, D3 schools, and no Kentucky. That's the best part of it. You can buy Louisville gear from Homefield Apparel. You cannot buy UK gear from Homefield Apparel. That's why we love them. Follow them on social media as well at Homefield Apparel with no E on Twitter, and at Homefield Apparel on Instagram. Again, shout out, as always, to Homefield Apparel. All right, so, we- I, 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 real, real quick, I got my Homefield Apparel shirt in the mail today. A, it's awesome, and B, I tried it on for my wife, and she was like, oh, yeah. And, like, all I could think about was, like, when she was, like, nodding her head, like, yeah, that looks good. I, I felt like in the in the the movie Rudy when Pete gives Rudy the jacket and I like put it on he's like you were born to wear that jacket I was like 
fuck yeah, I was. Like that's that was totally me trying on the home field apparel shirt. Hopefully things go better for your wife than they went. <laughs> Like, a, don't don't work at a factory, Ken. A dubious comparison there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to go from here. Watch your back, Kim. Um, all right, Louisville, Louisville versus Syracuse. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Louisville, Syracuse, <laughs> Wednesday night. ACC Network has the call. Uh, Cards beat the Orange pretty badly last year in their only meeting, but that is the only game that Louisville has won against Syracuse since Rick Pitino was fired back in 2017. Uh, Syracuse, I mean, they're the same goddamn team they've been every year in the ACC. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, they've been this way. The first, was the first year we were in the conference when they – maybe it was the, the year but when we were still in the AAC when they started off like 18-0, and had those great games against Duke, kind of fizzled late, and I think lost to Dayton in the second round of the tournament. Besides then, like, they're just per- always on the bubble. It's Only, first four at Dayton or bust. That's it, it for them. It really is. And they seem they do damage whenever they do get in the tournament, but when they get left out, I feel like every time we've played them, they've been in the same exact position where they're battling for quality wins, trying to, to bolster their NCAA tournament resume. And here we are again, taking them on Wednesday night. Uh, it's a Syracuse team that has been hit or miss pretty much all season long. Um, I, I'm expecting Q's to be a slight favorite because I think Ken Palm has them as a slight favorite, but... If you had to, uh, to, if I had to ask your, I guess, confidence level right now, 1 to 10, where are you for this game? I mean, as good as we played on Monday, I mean, that, that, you would think I would totally be like, all right, yeah, I feel pretty confident, but I mean, we just haven't looked good on the road. I don't know. I, I, I need to see it first before I can have any confidence in this team. Um, we're not, I mean, I know Dave has shot the ball well. We're not a particularly great three-point shooting team. I don't think we're a particularly great passing team, which you need to be against the Syracuse zone. I do think our defense has really picked up the last two games, um, which which is a really good sign, I think, going down the stretch here because I'd rather our defense kind of be, you know, honing in right now, and then I think our offense can, you know, hopefully get it together by the end of the year. I wouldn't want it to be, you know, uh, the other way, but if you, if you told me about confidence level right now, I'm literally, I think it's 50 50. I'm at about a five out of 10. Yeah, that's exactly where I am. I, this Syracuse team, they're difficult to figure out. And I think the reason why Syracuse is always so hard to figure out is because just teams either handle that two, three zone really, really well, like we always used to when, when Rick was here, or they just look at it and they go back to being in seventh grade where somebody plays zone, and you're like, what the hell do we do? Like, I, I, I've got no idea. Does somebody go in the middle? Do you stand here? Where's the first pass go? And they stand around for 25 seconds and then jack up a terrible shot. And so it's why you've seen, you know, Syracuse in the last couple of weeks, they killed the same Miami team that beat us right after they'd beaten us. They beat Virginia Tech by 18, a Virginia Tech team that is, uh, is coming off a, a big win over Virginia. They lost to Virginia by 23 and they came back and beat NC State the other day in the most recent game. But there's just – there's no consistency here. I watched – this is probably the least I've seen of any Syracuse team this deep into a season. I mean, for at least like the last 10 years since I've been doing college basketball stuff. The one game where I saw them more than just highlights or more than just a few minutes here and there, I watched most of the game they played against Northeastern because it was on in the middle of the day and there was nothing else going on. And they looked like the worst shooting team I've ever seen in my entire life. So they have games like that. They're actually in sort of an odd 
profile for, for Syracuse, at least with the way that they've been under Jim Beheim. They're more of an offensive team this year than they are defensively, at least slightly. It's a, it's a defense that for the last two years, for the first time under Beheim, has been sliding. The 2-3 the has not been that good. They're 51st in the country right now in adjusted defensive efficiency. They've given up some big numbers to some some fairly average teams. Uh, it's just I take the back. They're not. They're 79th in adjusted defensive efficiency. They're 50th in offense. So more of an offensive team than a defensive team this year, which is not usually their makeup. But they're also a streaky shooting team. I mean, they've got Joe Girard, the the kid who broke Jimmer Fredette's New York State scoring record coming out of high school, scored like a, a billion points playing at the same school. Um, Buddy Beheim who's been shooting the ball really, really poorly so far this year. He's right around 30% from three for the year. Uh, Merrick Dolge is back as well. Uh, Dolge, I should say. Like, they have – they're spaced out. They have a lot of guys averaging double figures and points. No one guy is going to carry them. They have a couple of guys who can break out on any given night. But it's a it's a dangerous team, I think, that just hasn't really put it all together just yet. And, and it really has struggled defensively. Yeah, and, I mean, when you think of Syracuse, like – I mean, teams we grew up watching, you think of, like, big post players like an Onawaku or a Fab Mello that block shots if you ever got it down in their area. And they don't really have, like, a big physical center. I mean, Dolzhai is, I mean, he's lengthy. He's kind of goofy looking. He's not really your prototypical center. So I, I, I think there's a chance for us on the offensive glass tomorrow to really do some damage. I expect Jalen Withers um, hopefully to be really active. Um, maybe get some easy putbacks, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it seems like they're either hit or miss. Um, uh, some games they're either, sh- you know, shooting fairly well. And when they do that, it, it seems to go good for them. But I mean, they definitely, I mean, Joe Girard, you know, even though he's only shooting 34% this year, you know, that he's capable, you know, that Buddy Bayheim's capable. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Those games get, I mean, the games get weird up there, man. Like, no matter even the Rick years, like the games, I mean, sometimes the games be like 53 to 50, like even the years like we made the final four, they'd be really low scoring. So I don't know. You, you just hope that you're the team that has more energy. Um, and then I guess we'll, we'll just kind of see how the chips fall. One of my favorite angry Jim Beheim rants um, was when he got asked about losing, I think it was seven straight to Rick. And he's like, I mean, just – classic angry old man. Like, why don't you ask me my record against Roy Williams? Why don't you ask me my record against Bill Self? Like, just, like, like totally deflecting the fact that he can, very clearly has a problem beating Louisville. And, and we just kind of, we own them for that period of time and beat them in two Big East championship games. It was a whole lot of fun to play Syracuse. Has not been quite as fun uh, as of late. I, I want to ask you this, because I, I think this is really interesting. Going into this game, if Sam Williamson had not played the way that he did against George Tech on Monday... I feel like Louisville's game plan was going to be pretty straightforward. They would have done what they did a year ago, which was let uh, they would have let Carlick Jones run the point. Last year it was Fresh Kimball. Get David Johnson in the middle of the zone. Let him be the facilitator from there, either to pass it down to the block or to a shooter on the wing, and just kind of go that route. Now with Sam playing the way that he played, I wonder if Mac is going to be – I wonder on one hand, does he not want to break this string of good performances that Sam has had off the bench, but also – Sam's kind of the perfect fit to be in the middle of that zone. And if he can do that effectively, all of a sudden you are, you're able to take David Johnson, who's been your best three-point shooter, get him out to the wing, maybe get him some open looks against that zone. Uh, and 
maybe that's the better attack. I don't. How do you feel like we start this game? Do you think that that Mac doesn't want to mess with a good thing and keep Sam coming off the bench, or do you think he says strategy wise, our best shot at success right out of the gate is to have the guy who's been one of our best players for the last week and a half in the middle of that zone? I think we'll see Sam start. I think Chris Mack likes to play with a lead, just the style that he has to where, you know, we play that pack line defense. There's not a whole lot of possessions in the game. So I don't think he likes to get down early. So I think he wants to have our best chips forward. And it seems like Sam's playing better. So I could see him in the starting lineup. Um, but it's a nice problem to have with the, with the way Sam's played the last two games. I mean, you're going to be able to be interchangeable running David Johnson and Sam Williamson out of that high post area. Um, and, I mean, even not guys off the bench, like we've seen J.J. Trainer is perfectly capable of just turning around knocking kind of that mid-range jump shot right from the foul line. So I think we do have a couple options there. The key is once you get that ball in the middle, I mean, and we've gone against the zone for, you know, 13 years and every fan knows it. you have to be decisive. You have to put up the shot right away. You have to drive or pass right away. If you hesitate and take one dribble in and don't know what to do, that's when all hell breaks loose. So whoever they have in the middle of that zone, I hope they know what they're doing. They're decisive with the ball. I know we've talked about this before. But I still think one of the weirdest Louisville-Syracuse games of all time, at least because everybody remembers it, is I mean, not, not the last game at Freedom Hall, but the game, I think it was 2012, where Patino moved Couric to the middle of the zone about halfway through, and it changed the entire game. It was the most obvious move in the history of basketball. Like, we had, I, I think we, had, we were playing, like, Gorgie in the middle, or maybe it was Terrence Jennings, who was just, like, doing everything <laughs> terribly, and we couldn't accomplish anything. I think we had, like, six points in 15 minutes. And then Rick puts, puts this athletic kid who's got decent enough size, who can knock down a mid-range shot, who's a good passer in the middle of the zone, and it changes everything. And everybody's like, oh, my God, this guy. That's why he's a Hall of Famer right there. And afterwards, Rick is like, that was all Richard. That was all That was all Richard. I'm like, I'm like do we really need somebody taking credit for this? Like, yeah, every, it's like we were clamoring for this. Yeah, 19,000 fans in the crowd were like, get Kirk in the middle of the fucking zone. It's the most obvious thing of all time. And yet everybody still remembers that as like, one of the greatest in-game adjustments in the history of Louisville basketball. Like, yeah, that's the player who's supposed to be in there. It should it, be or it should be David on Wednesday. It, it's honestly become an annual Louisville basketball fan tradition of who's going to be the middle of the Syracuse zone guy. Because, I mean, we played him for, like, you know, like I said, 13 years straight or whatever. And, like, every year we come and it's like, all right, who's going to play the middle of the zone? Like, you know, uh, and, and some guys have struggled more than others, I feel like. Uh, we, did we put Jordan in there one year? And I, I know we got blown out one year with, with, with him getting the ball. Um, but I don't know. Hey, let's let's get back to Bayheim for a second. I want to talk about it real quick. I got one last thought because you're exactly right. Like we have, we'll have a freshman hit like a pull up ten footer at Louisville Live, and we'll be like, you know, what? <laughs> that that guy may be right for the middle of the zone. Save him for Syracuse. Like we'll see you again in January, buddy. Like. He could be a perfect guy in the middle of that Syracuse zone. Like we we act like it's like the biggest skill set in the world to have. Like a mid range jumper, a guy who can make average passes. Like oh boy, like that's you need that guy if we're gonna beat Q's this year. I know. Watch like by like the end of Wednesday, we're like, and Gabe Winister Winister catches the ball in the high post, and we're like, what the hell is going on? Uh, no, I, I I the reason I want to bring up Bayheim, I don't know what your opinion is. Do you think he's like, I mean, do you think he's checked out? I mean, he looks so fucking, I mean, like, he always is nonchalant. But 
just every time I turn on Syracuse and our game we played last year, I mean, he was so fucking nonchalant on the bench. I was like, Jesus Christ, how much is this guy making? Yeah, I mean, the there's been buzz for the last couple of years, and I've got no idea if it's true, but they, the people around the program have been saying this really since the kid signed, but they've been saying Jim wants to coach until Buddy graduates. And Buddy's a junior. By the way, the, the most emotion we've seen out of Bayhan the last few weeks Buddy had an and one against NC State the other night, and Jim literally fell out of his chair. I'm like, not a lot of faith in your son there, Jim. He's like, I was so shocked that my kid scored from inside the arc that I fell out of my chair. Um, but I don't think he's got, I, I don't think he's got a lot of time left with 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 Syracuse. And why would you? I mean, he's he's accomplished everything he needs to accomplish. Recruiting's totally yeah. different than it was back then. He's 76 right now, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, Syracuse is one of those programs though that I'm really curious about. What happens to it after it loses its Hall of Famer? Because he, I mean, he is Syracuse basketball, and people go there to play for him and play for the program that produced Carmelo Anthony and and all those guys that that he was churning out in the '90s and the 2000s. It's a little bit more difficult to recruit to Syracuse, New York, for a sport that's played in the winter when you you don't have a Hall of Fame coach running the show. Like, I'm not saying Syracuse is going to just disappear into oblivion, but that's a tough gig. Like it, it doesn't. That program doesn't run itself. Like I think, you know, North Carolina does, or, or Kansas does, or Kentucky can. Um, yeah. I'd say you don't have to have the right guy, but I feel like you have to really, you have to go out of your way to screw up at those programs, uh, like a Billy Gillespie or like a uh, uh, Matt Doherty at, at North Carolina. Like you should be, you sh- they should always be pretty good. Syracuse, I don't know if they have that same type of of, of long term cachet. I, I kind of look at them, and I know this school is in a better location, but I kind of look at him like Georgetown. Um, like John Thompson, he was Georgetown, it seemed like. And I mean, I know John Thompson, uh, you know, his son took him, he took him to the final four, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah. um, he did good things with that program, but man, they, it seems like ever since that, I mean, he, he had kind of a rough ending and they've really fallen off a cliff since then. And kind of run in mediocrity and, and like he said you wonder if that's going to happen to a program when when someone like as historic as Jim Beheim leaves but he, he still knows how to ruffle feathers man like I, he, I saw a quote he had the other day like they were asking him about their home record why they've been so good at home and he was like I guess the fans don't really matter <laughs> yeah. and like and like well it was funny I was listening to Chris Max post game and they asked him like you know you guys are playing better at home uh, you know, or I don't even remember what the question was, but he made it a point. He's like, yeah, we played good at home. He, he's like, and I don't want to say it's not because of the fans. Cause we, he like made it a point to say we need the fans, which is like the complete opposite of Bayheim. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do. I enjoy crumudgety Jim Bayheim. I enjoy watching it. First of all, you compared Syracuse to Georgetown, which just made every, any orange fan who's listening to this game. I know, I know. Like they just they want you dead now. You are you are Syracuse enemy number one going into tonight's game. Two, I think it's a safe comparison. The, the other program that I would really compare them to is UConn because Jim Calhoun basically was that entire program. Connecticut basketball was nothing until he got there, and he turned it into you know a, a program that's won more national titles or as many national titles as anybody over the last twenty five years. They struggled a, a little. I mean, they won one under Kevin Ollie but they still struggled more than they had success after Calhoun. We'll see what happens now with Dan Hurley and them getting back into the Big East, but I think that that's – they're both solid comparisons. I don't think Q's 
I don't think Hughes will fall off as much as Georgetown has, but I could be totally wrong about that. We'll, we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I saw the the Bayheim comment about the fans. It is kind of nuts to see across the country with no fans at most of these places, limited fans at the, at the places that are allowing spectators. The home re- records are still pretty much the same in college basketball. There's not a whole lot of difference. I thought Mac gave a really good explanation when he said, you know, travel right now, it's twice as difficult as it was before. Like, like we don't, it's not luxurious anymore. Everybody has to go kind of in their own unit. When you get to the hotel, you get like a meal and you have to go right to your room and quarantine there. He's like, there's nothing fun about being on the road anymore. And I, I'm sure that that's taken a toll on a lot of teams as well. But it is just like, this was going to be such an interesting case study about a full season where there are no fans. How much do fans really matter? And so far, like the numbers are saying like, not that much. But I, but I think that there are so many outside factors that you can't really, it, it's not that cut and dry is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and uh, like even in the ACC, I mean, last night Miami beats Duke at Miami. I mean, it, it, for whatever reason, like you said, it seems like it's hard to to win on the road. Um, man, it would just be and God, I hate even doing this, but like that if if I missed one thing about Patino's teams, it, it, you knew like every time you're on the road and maybe maybe it's just me thinking back and maybe the record doesn't reflect it and I'm just over exaggerating but it just seemed like we just brought a different mentality on the road um I I just felt so much better about his road teams going on the road so far than I have during Max tenure um but hey I mean there's there's time to prove me wrong it's only his third year so let's hope it starts tomorrow I I will say this about Mac teams they've been when they've been their best on the road, it's been in like the biggest environments against the best programs. Like they, you know, they beat Duke at Cameron last year. They, That's true. Yes. They beat North Carolina and set the, the largest record for defeat for a Roy Williams team inside the Dean dome. A couple of years ago, they played, I thought they played a really good game against Kentucky, even though they lost uh, last season when they went to Rupp arena. And that was a really hostile environment as well. So it's been like the, it's been the, the the more tame environments where they've really struggled on the road. They've they've been bad at Clemson. They've been they were bad at Georgia Tech last year. Um, they've they've kind of faltered in those types of places more so than UNC and, and Duke. And um, I mean they were they were in the game against Virginia last year down to the wire. They were they were in it a couple of years ago too. I thought they played pretty well both times at JPJ. But uh, we'll see what, how how they fare there this year. And then obviously we've got. Uh, a uh, big chance to to go to Cameron Indoor and sweep Duke as well next month. So I, I'm with you, though. More times than, than not, it, it felt like Patino's teams were ready to go on the road, and their records reflected that. All right, uh, we'll, we'll come back and we'll do our previews. By the way, we were, after being so good with our pre, with our predictions um, for like three games in a row, both completely off from the Clemson game the last time we did a, a prediction. I, I mean, I, I thought it was going to be way more high scoring than it was, and we both were wrong about who actually won. But we'll do that at the end of the pod. Uh, let's take a couple of questions here from Twitter before we get to that. Um, D.A. Helderman says, if you could pick one former Louisville basketball player to come back and serve as a player coach, who are you picking and why is it Bozak Smith? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would, I would love to see Bozak suit up right now and coach. Yeah, I mean, I would never turn that down in a million years. But if I'm answering the question seriously, I would probably say Peyton Siva. Um you just hear nothing but absolute glowing remarks on how much of or how high his basketball IQ was. He's a great guy. He'd be a great ambassador for the city, um, you know, the university. So he'd probably be my pick. 
Uh, Cardinal Commenter says, what is the go-to phrase when someone knocks on the bathroom door and you're in it? I feel like I just say, I don't know if I have a go-to phrase. Like, I don't say, like, occupied or, or like, anything. Consistent. I think I just go, hey <laughs> I think I, I think I just say, like, uh, in here or something like that. Like, I feel like, I don't, I don't know. But it does remind me of one of my favorite uh, old-school Dan the Dump stories when you were at work and your coworker's kid like, looked under the stall when you were just taking a dump it, it work. Like, I love that story. That was, uh, God, that was, like, ten years ago. I was, like, hungovers all get out. I was like, I need to switch jobs immediately. This is too much. <laughs> um, a lot of people want us to talk about this GameStop stuff. I don't have – did you – are you trading stocks now, Dan? Has this been a recent development? <laughs> I, I, I texted, like, I was like, all right. Maybe I should get in on this. And then I knew I was like, I'm the biggest cooler in the world. Like, as soon as I start doing this, like, the market's going to take a shit and everything's going to be terrible. So I sat it out, and it sounds like I made the right place so far. Um, but I don't know. I, You know, we have friends that do this that obviously know a lot more than we do. Um, but it, it's been fun to follow, at least. Uh, it's given me some entertainment to follow during the day. All right, James says, uh, what's the likelihood of Louisville opting out of the ACC tournament? I don't think it's very high. Um, Vince Tyre, I think he was in an interview with the Courier-Journal earlier this week, basically said, like, we're playing in the, in the conference tournament. I don't know if it was that cut and dry, but he, he was saying, that's our plan, they're going to go ahead. I actually don't think you're going to see as many of these power conference opt-outs as people are talking about. I think you may see a couple, but... What's going to happen is, I think that the Big Ten, my understanding, I don't know if there's been any official word on this, the Big Ten's probably going to move its tournament to Indianapolis, so all the teams can bubble there, and then just stay there for the NCAA tournament, those who make it, so they're good. My understanding right now is that the plan for the ACC is probably going to be something similar. Tournament's still going to be in Greensboro, but they're going to have a, a bubble there, nobody can leave, nobody can do anything, and the teams that make the NCAA tournament... They won't go back to Louisville. They won't go back to wherever. They'll go straight from Greensboro to Indianapolis um, so they can, can eliminate anything. Because, again, it's not it's not about teams hurting their draft stock. Everybody's terrified that because there's no 14 days between conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament, people are terrified that somebody's going to, to pick up COVID at the conference tournament and then it's going to spread and then they're not going to be able to play in the NCAA tournament. It's, it's a understandable uh, issue, a reservation. I don't. I have no idea why the NCAA refuses to move the NCAA tournament back a week and a half or two weeks so that this isn't an issue, but they've set the dates in stone. It's going to happen. TV contracts are in. They've got to make that money. The other reason why I don't think you're going to see as many uh, teams from their conferences opt out of, of league tournaments as people are, are speculating right now, that money from the league tournaments, which is a huge revenue maker for just about every conference, it's split evenly within the teams in the league. Doesn't matter if you win the tournament. Doesn't matter if you're one and done you get that share of, of the money. My guess is the leagues will say, if you don't come and play, we're not going to pay you. You're, you're not going to get any part of this. So I think that'll be another incentive for teams across the country to play in their conference tournaments as well. But if you're like a Gonzaga, which is the extreme outlier, yeah, you've got – there's zero reason for you to play in the WCC tournament except for the fact that it ends a week earlier than the major conference tournaments, so you probably would still have enough time to, to get guys that, test, that would test positive good to go for the NCAA tournament, but I don't think it's going to wind up being quite as much of an issue as people are talking about right now. I think you may see some of the smaller conferences say that they're not playing league tournaments at all, 
and they're crowning the regular season champions as their auto bid winners. But as far as the bigger tournaments are concerned, could be totally wrong. But I think you're going to see most teams, including Louisville, choose to play regardless of what their tournament stature is. And it'd be, it, would, it would suck to have a bunch of oh. tournaments that have like six teams in them or something. A hundred percent. I mean, I think conference tournaments make March Madness, you know, kind of what it is. I mean, it's such like a good appetizer for the actual tournament. I mean, I look forward to it and it's, it sucks because we've never got to make a run in ACC tournament yet. And I am just dying to play on, on Saturday night, you know, one time, but, uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, knock on wood. Hopefully, you know, things go. I know with COVID that anything can happen, but knock on wood, you know, we, we get these conference tournaments as full as we can. Yeah, we've never even gotten to play in the ACC semifinals. We've never even gotten to from that, which just sucks. I mean, we got spoiled to the fact that we went for that period of time. 09, we win the, the Big East tournament. 2010, we lost the first game. 2011, we lose in the championship. 2012, win the tournament. 2013, win the tournament. 2014, win the tournament. I mean, we were just... We were, God, those those semifinal and final nights those years were oh, just the glory. They were the glory days. It was phenomenal time to be a Louisville basketball fan. I mean, if, if my personal heaven exists, <laughs> watching the Louisville starting lineups on Big East Tournament Saturday night, with hypnotized playing in the background inside Madison Square Garden. I mean, that was just, it, it was so good. It was so fun. And we just kind of, like, you penciled it in, man. Like, Friday night, that weekend of Selection Sunday, we knew we were watching the cards. Saturday night, we were probably watching the cards, too. It was great. We we would watch it with, like, a, a huge group. And, like, whenever they play the starting lives, like, there would be, like, a big commotion and people would just talk. I'd be like, shut up. Everybody shut up. I'm trying to listen to the music. I'm listening to the starting lineup. Shut up. Oh, I would get so mad. Shut the fuck up. Shut the yeah. fuck up. <laughs> it's hypnotized. And then if you didn't get hypnotized, you were like, well, we're going to lose. It's over. Like, this is – the other team's got us. Uh, I miss it. Uh, I miss it a lot. Um, sorry, I lost my place here with the questions. Um, let's see. I like this one. Uh, craziest thing Dr. Zender did while you were at Trinity. Did you ever have Mr. Zender for a class? Yeah, I did. Um God, I don't remember a damn thing. I, I know he was really funny. Uh, he had the, the ZZ top belt buckle. Um, but I, I, I don't even remember what year I had him, but I, I think it might have even just been for a resource class. So it wasn't anything spectacular. Oh, man was insane. I, I had him for his econ senior year. I mean, there wasn't one thing in particular, but he threw kids books across the classroom probably five times that year. It was just, it was great. It was first period. I was always so tired. And the only thing that would keep me awake was fear of him just picking up my books and just chucking them across the room. Uh, because <laughs> so I do remember he, he let a kid sleep. Um, like I think we were like third period and he had like a kid from second period staying at his desk, still sleeping when we got there. That was uh, I remember that was a highlight. I remember there was one time where I was blatantly looking off of someone's paper during a test and he was like, he didn't know my name. It was early in the year. He's like, Keep your eyes on your own paper there, uh, there, uh, and I knew he was talking about me, but I was like, <laughs> I was like, is he embarrassed that he doesn't know my name? It was, it was very much a standoff. I was like, I'm gonna act like I don't hear you. I'm gonna let you get away with the fact that you don't know who I am, and we're just gonna act like nothing happened right there, and I'm gonna take this 80 on this test that I just cheated on. It was, uh, that was the way it worked. Shout out to Dr. Zender. Um, I think I had a couple of questions here filed away, and I can't remember 
via email. I can't remember what they were. Oh, Hillary always wants us to talk more about the women's basketball team. We, we definitely need to do more, uh, a better job about working the women into the fold. And I hate to, to do it right now. Yeah. It's, it's like, let's talk about it now. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I will say, like, I, I've gotten to watch the women more this year than I have in years past because in years past I was doing um, the college basketball editor gig for SB Nation. I uh, don't have those responsibilities this year, unfortunately. But in years past, I was always watching a men's game because it was my job. Uh, so I've gotten to watch the women when they've been on TV a lot more this year. It kind of felt like like this one was kind of coming. They, they, they've been flirting with this one for a while. Uh, ever since they got to number one, they've played closer than they should have games against uh, Wake Forest, against Miami. They were great for three quarters against North Carolina and really, really bad in the fourth quarter. And it just seemed like... It seemed like they were kind of due for this one. I, I don't. It doesn't make me think any less of them as a national title contender. It doesn't make me think any less of them as far as their ability to run the table and win at least a share of the ACC. But this pretty early on, you could tell that NC State was the aggressor. And like Haley Van Lith, who's been so good uh, all season long, she looked like a freshman for the first time. I think it was an eye-opening experience for her. And really, it was an eye-opening experience for everybody besides Dana Evans. She was the only one who played well, had 29 of the team's 60 points, and it just uh, just was not their night. But, hey, hopefully it's just a blip, and two months from now we're talking about this program winning the first national title in, in UofL history. Yeah, I watched the second half yesterday. When, when Dana Evans hit that three, I think at the buzzer at the end of the third, I was like, oh, okay, like I think it got to win the five or seven, but – and fourth quarter just obviously got away from him a little bit. But I, I trust Jeff Walls. I think he has the right personnel. Um, and he usually – he's he's a coach that gets his teams playing better in March. So uh, I'm sure with all the COVID stuff and, – and women's basketball has been affected by all the COVID stuff way more than the men has, unfortunately, for UofL's women's team. So, uh, you know, hopefully they get some practices under their belt. They're able to gel a little bit and make a deep March run. All right, last question here before we uh, call it a pod. Josh Mark, who's got a great U of L basketball uh, stat tracker. I've linked it a bunch of times on the uh, on Card Chronicle. You can find the link there and get it on your phone. Uh, charts a bunch of cool stuff. Always a good thing to look at during and after games. But he says, if you could turn any U of L sports loss into a win, what game would you change the result of? He says, I say Rutgers football but I could be convinced of the Lamar game at Clemson, even though that would probably mean more Bobby Petrino. Um, let's do, we'll do one basketball, one football. What would you change the result of? Bruh, you don't even gotta ask me this. We already know what the answer is. It's yeah. fucking t- 2014, sweet 16, the worst fucking night of my life. God, that was awful. What about football? Football? Um, Oh man, yeah. I mean, I gotta go with the Rutgers game. I mean, we uh, a little story about it. my parents told me they had tickets lined up for Glendale um, already, and this was like before the game even took place. And I was like, well, there's the kiss of death right there. So uh, yeah, I mean, Willie Gay, my guy. That, I love you. That offsides, ugh, I, I can forgive, but never forget, brother. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be boring and pick the exact same ones. the The 2014 Sweet 16. I feel like everything changed after that game. I know we went yeah. to the, in 2015, but that team, it wasn't nearly as fun. Remember, they had all like the, the there was the infighting, and they they didn't score as well as they should have, and just never really realized their potential. Won three games in the NCAA tournament, which was great, but still, it wasn't. It didn't feel like the the three or four seasons before it. And also, like that loss 
totally changed the tide of the rivalry with Kentucky because I know they still would have been ahead in the head-to-head since Calipari got there. But if you win that game and you go back to the Final Four, maybe win back-to-back national titles, the balance of power is firmly in your corner. And the big thing that, that really swayed it to, to Kentucky was they were underdogs in both the games we played them that year. And when they won, that's when it really started to become this is Kentucky's rivalry. And the only thing that saved us from just being full-fledged, just despair a year after winning our national title was the 2014 Connecticut Huskies. Shout out to Shabazz Napier. I love you forever. Shout out to uh, Sam Decker in Wisconsin a year later. You guys, you made life Kevin, a Kevin, o- Kevin Ollie. Shout out Kevin Ollie. Kevin Ollie, we love you. <laughs> you guys made our lives in 2021 a lot easier and a lot better than they could have been otherwise. You guys saved us a lot of heartache there. So we appreciate Let me ask you this. Have you, have you ever gone back and watched the full game? Yes. Oh, my God. I, I've seen – Bits and pieces of it. And I mean, it just, I can't even like describe how bad it hurts. It still hurts. I mean, that game, just everything about it, how in control we were. Like, I'll never forget like the pass all the way down the court and Trez just waiting there and dunks. I was like, we're going to win this game by 20. And we like, were, the other thing about that game is we were, it wasn't like any other U of L UK loss where they were kind of in control and we kept it close, just couldn't get over the hump. Like, we were the better team for 37 minutes there. Like, we were so much better than they were. And then the the foul-out call on Montrez, Mango not dunking the ball. Uh, I mean, the Harrison three, Russ just dives into the middle of the lane for no apparent reason. He, he couldn't make a free throw that night. It was just everything that could go wrong went wrong. And it sucked. And it still sucks. And I'm still not – I'll never be fully over it. I'll, I'll never – team should have won yeah. it all. They were, they were really, really good. Runner-up basketball choice that we don't talk about a lot. Probably the Michigan State Elite Eight game. That one, that one really hurt. Uh, not, not the, not the Mango one. The 2009 one after we kicked Arizona's ass. But we, we don't got to go down this rabbit hole. This is already making me upset. I know. Um, so let's get to uh, to predictions. Do you, do you have a? I know we both kind of were like 50-50 for this game. Ken Palm has Syracuse winning by one. I don't, I don't have a spread on the game yet, but I'm assuming it'll open right about there. What are you saying? What's your prediction for tomorrow night or tonight? Oh God, this is this is hard. Um, Jesus, are right, you know what? I, I think we're gonna. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Syracuse only just to motivate our guys. So I'm gonna say Syracuse sixty six cards sixty two. You're still a podcast novice, but that's a veteran move right there. That's a it's a veteran radio play or a veteran veteran like fan media way to go. Like I'm I'm picking the other team, but I'm only doing it because like when we pick I pick against us, we always do well. And then if they win, you can be like, well, I fucking told you. Like that's a hundred a hundred percent. I yeah. Like if I would have picked them to win and they lost, I would be like, well, I'm the worst fucking person ever. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, you, you handle that well. That's the exact. That's the veteran play right there. That's that's well done. I. Like, nothing about this game would surprise me. If we went up there and the travel and the zone and Syracuse getting hot, like, and we lost by 20, I wouldn't be shocked. If we, like, like Sam keeps playing incredibly, David keeps hitting threes, Carleek gets out of his little shooting slump and he lights it up and we win by, by 10, 15, I wouldn't be surprised either. I'm feeling, like going into this week, I thought we were going to, I thought we'd win Monday, 
and then lose the next two. I'm feeling a little bit more confident than I thought I was going to going into this game. Fuck it. I'll, I think Louisville wins 70 to 68. Uh, oh my God. Fully planning on Syracuse going into this week. I think we're going to, I think we're a better team than Syracuse. I, I, I know that it's just the matchup is a little bit tough in Syracuse. You never know what you're going to get, but I think we win. I, I think we win a narrow one. I'll say that. Here, here, here's the reason I'm picking against them. It's hard to beat a team twice in a year, and we play them again like five games later at the Yum, and I am totally confident that we're going to win that game just because it's at home. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this solely based on the fact that I think they're going to split the season series. Every stat says it's not hard to beat a team two or three times in the same. Well, it isn't my book. It isn't my book. <laughs> if you're better than them, you should beat them as many times as you play them. If you play them four times, you should probably beat them at least three. If we play them twice and we're better, we should beat them twice. I feel good about it. Um, all right. Again, we encourage you to subscribe to the pod if you haven't yet. We love getting ratings. We love getting reviews. We love reading those reviews on the podcast to try to encourage you to do more of it. Uh, two new reviews this week. And, again, if I if I glossed over your from uh, from last month when Apple out of nowhere dropped like 15 new reviews that just hadn't posted yet. I apologize. If you want to delete your old reviews, if, if we haven't read it yet on the podcast and write a new one, feel free to do that. I promise we'll get to it next time. We have two new ones though. Uh, I'm a Dan Stan says best Louisville pod out there. He says not even a Louisville fan. I just love Dumpster Dan. How about that? It's like it's like I hope he got his twenty five dollar Venmo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like just. Making sure the reviews are getting on there. So thank you. I'm a Dan Stan. The uh, the payment is in the mail. Terrible, terrible joke. Uh, Jay Feudy MD says, Carlig's favorite podcast. The best voice on the cards in the country, plus some random dude from Ohio that seemingly <laughs> forgets every week that he needs to have a story for his, quote, recurring segment. And I also am pretty sure thought he was on a Cincinnati Reds podcast for the first four episodes. Equals pure podcast gold. Hooters in Jeffersonville forever. Indeed. Oh, Indeed. I saw that review and I, I sent a screenshot. I was like, this might be the best one out there yet. I, I absolutely was rolling because that is a hundred percent. Like he literally, I'm like, does this guy living inside my house? It's a hundred percent me. By the way, you got a lot of love for the, the day of the dump story last episode with the speed bumps. I thought I, I, I wasn't expecting much the way you started it. It was beautifully told. I loved it. I, I could, oh, I could it was, it was kind of a throwaway. So I'm glad, I'm glad it did well. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, uh, shout out, shout out to the listeners. We always enjoy the feedback. Yeah, we will have another episode this week. I know I said that last week and it didn't happen. I promise we will have a second episode this week to talk about whatever happens on Wednesday night and to preview the Saturday game against Virginia. We only do that because we have to, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But until we talk to you guys again, go cards, beat Syracuse. Go cards.